Grab your Bibles, if you will, and let's uh, open them up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Before I read, uh, just to explain a bit, some of you might be wondering, maybe not many, but we're going to go back to finish up our, our study of the book of Genesis. Um, but it'll, we, we probably won't resume that until um, December. And then, Lord willing, we'll be able to finish it by the end of January. Uh, this month, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, maybe not different, but we're not going to do Genesis for this month. Um, and I'll explain more as we go. You follow as I read, beginning at verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going to read nine verses. <clears throat> Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel. And be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. With all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God. That is something that endures forever. About a month and a half ago, I got a um, quantum leap. In my education, my professor was a young man by the name of Will Savell. Many of you might know Will. He is the director of senior high and youth ministries here at Gracie Van. And for about an hour and a half, Will filled my ear with information about youth ministry. Now, um, uh, let me assure you that he, uh, he didn't break any confidences. Uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't tell anybody secrets. What he did do is simply take me for a stroll down MySpace. Everybody know what MySpace is? 
It's a website that's devoted to students. And it is hot. And there, (laughs) right there in my space, in living color, was story after story after story about our kids. Stories they tell. Um, I guess my, my first emotion was one of astonishment. Because I had no idea, I had no idea that that much information was available to us and it was given to us by them. (laughs) They wrote it. And there it was. For anybody who has a, an account, I guess, I don't have an account, but Will does, um, anybody to read? I guess my, my second emotion, after I got beyond astonishment, my second emotion was one of grief. It wasn't a grief because of all of the things that I read and saw, that was, that was pretty eye-opening. <laughs> wow. But my grief was really, my grief was for you as parents. Because um, I was reminded by, by reading all of that, how How parenting has become so much more complicated over the years. Largely brought on by technology. My wife and I raised three girls, and we have the battle scars to prove it. But um, when our kids were in, um, at home... In terms of technology, the biggest issue that we had to face is whether or not we were going to add call waiting to our home phones. Wicked, wicked call waiting. And I want you to know that I fought it. I fought it tooth and nail. And I lost, uh, grudgingly. But really, that was the that was the extent of it. But you guys, oh my, you face you face so much more than we did, which is not even to mention. The, the steady drift of the culture away from righteousness. 
Oh, that's awful. That's no ally, is it? But we're, we're not even talking about that. Just what you face in terms of technology has made your job as parents so much more complicated and difficult than when we parented. Uh, my, my time that I spent with Will it helped me in a lot of ways. Uh, it helped me, it really, <laughs> my naivety is gone. But um, it, it, it helped me to see just how difficult it has become to be a parent. And, you know, being a teenager is not all that easy either. But I walked out of his office determined to do something that hopefully would help. To try something. <laughs> to offer whatever little bit I could. You know, I, when I first moved to Memphis for the first six years, I did a singles ministry. And um, in the world of singles, and I loved it. Just absolutely loved it. I still love it. Still love singles. And, and um, I, I learned a few things doing that, too. But I learned this much, that if you wanted to gather a crowd of singles, all you had to do was talk about relationships. I, I did a, a, a retreat on, on, on relationships for singles. And, I, you know, I still think they're selling the tapes. And it was not because it was so good. I mean, it wasn't. It was just that the need was so big. And when the need is big, it, it amplifies whatever little you might be able to offer. Well, that's what I'm thinking about this subject, guys. The need is so enormous that whatever little I might be able to offer might help. So for the next couple of weeks, actually it won't be next week, it'll be, y'all do understand, don't you, that whatever series I'm in, I always set it aside for the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is something that I'm not sure that we really fully appreciate. And by the way, Grace Venture has, has purchased for you these little devotional study booklets that R.C. Sproul produces. Grace Venture pays for them for you. The, the one this month is on the Lord's Supper, get you one. I mean, it's great. I'm reading it. I mean, it's, not to say that makes it, but it's great. I mean, they have a different subject every month. It's great stuff. They, they're free. Grace Venture pays for them for you. They're out there. Grab you one. But anyway, so we set aside whatever we're doing for the Lord's Supper, and that's always the second Sunday of the month. But um, so I won't do anything next week, but I'm going to do two sermons today and then two weeks from now. And my, my hope is, guys, that I will be able to offer... Just a modicum of hope or help. We'll see. Now let me begin by lowering, lowering your expectations. Um, these two sermons will not be a how-to. You know, seven steps to parental euphoria. That's not what this is going to be. Very honestly, gang... I haven't earned the right to give you anything that smacks of expert advice. I'll tell you another thing that I hope won't happen is that I certainly don't want to make any of you feel 
any guiltier. I mean, we, we parents already feel guilty enough, don't we? So it's certainly not designed to do that. But it's not designed to be a how-to either. There might be a couple in there, but primarily, particularly this morning, is really not anything about how-to. But guys, the Bible does address us as parents. Maybe not frequently, um, but it does speak to us. And it seems to me that going and looking at a little bit of that might be some help somehow. So that's what we're going to do. By the way, um, I should say this too, that the Bible also speaks to children. They don't get some kind of free pass in this whole process. And, um, and, and I'm going to include something about them, but not, uh, we, we have a plan. We'll, we'll unfold our plan, uh, a couple of weeks from today. <laughs> Pardon me, but we're going to speak to them as well. We're going to speak to the parents and we're going to speak to the students too. Now, here's where I think we need to start. I want to start this morning with the why. W-H-Y. Not the how. I want to start with the why. Why did we have kids in the first place? Maybe that's where we went wrong. Um, but let's start there. Why did we have kids, gang? Um, um, very honestly, many of us, um, our, our motives weren't all that good, were they? I mean, um, you know, we were getting pressure. Pressure from the parents. You know, to have some, some grandkids. Or um, uh, we were getting pressure from uh, other young couples. When are y'all going to have a baby? Or maybe the pressure came from within. Maybe it came from ourselves. Um, because we were thinking... Well, if we're going to be the, the couple, the family that has it all, we're going to have to have a couple of kids. I mean, you can't have it all unless you've got a couple of kids. So you've got to go out and have yourself some kids. Or um, maybe we had kids because we longed to have somebody who would love us back. Or... I've heard men say, not, not a whole lot, but I've heard men say that, that uh, they feel like they, need, it's, they want to have kids because it's important for them to carry on the family name. Now, guys, believe it or not, the Bible does speak to the whole why issue. And it's so simple that we may have overlooked it. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 1. Now, that shouldn't be very hard to find. Genesis chapter 1, that would be the first chapter in the Bible. So just get to the black cover and keep turning right. To Genesis 1. Guys, what I'm about to read you is a very famous verse in the the Bible. It is called the cultural mandate. Um, If you ever read anybody like an Os Guinness or a Francis Schaeffer, uh, people who really know things, They're going to talk about the cultural mandate a lot. Well, here's the cultural mandate. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, 
Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, guys, as I said, that's called the cultural mandate. But within it, you see the, the biblical motive for having children. You want it? Very simply, it's this. God commands it. Now, add to that the text that I read you out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Which is a text that tells us that not only are we to love God ourselves, but that we are to raise children who love God. Not only is mama and daddy supposed to chase after the things of God, but we're supposed to raise children who we're supposed to inculcate within our kids, as humanly speaking as best we can, an interest in, a love for holy things. And so as a, according to Deuteronomy 6, we're supposed to talk about them all the time and when I sit down and when I rise up and when I, you know, drink my coffee and when I, these things are supposed to be all over my house and I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to point my kids in the direction of these righteous principles again and again and again and again and again. Gang, listen to me. In other words, having kids. It's not about you. It's not about you and your needs. It's about the glory of God. And so, the ultimate issue is not how proud my kids make me. The ultimate issue, ladies and gentlemen, is how faithful I have been to the discharge, the duty, but uh, discharging the duties that God has given to me. The issue is not even how my kids turn out. The issue is how faithful I have been to discharge the duties that God has given me as a parent. Because it's not about me. It's about the glory of God. Now, guys, if you miss that point, as simple as it is, then things are going to get out of focus real quickly. Everything's going to get hazy if, if that is not clearly in the forefront of our parenting brains. Guys, I think much of our, our how-to misses the mark because we've got the wrong why. Because ultimately, your why drives your how. With the wrong why... Our methods will invariably miss the mark. I, I want to give you just one or try to give you just one example that will maybe illustrate and explain what I'm trying to say to you. 
My brother and sister in Christ, one of the biggest mistakes that I think we have made as parents, and we continue to make that mistake, is our reluctance bordering on downright refusal to let our children ever experience pain. Did you understand what I said? I'm saying that one of the... I'm I'm trying to illustrate how our why drives our how. That's what I'm trying to illustrate. And I'm saying that one of the ways is right here in one of our biggest mistakes, and that is our reluctance and our downright refusal to let our children experience pain. Oh, as adults, uh, you know, we know that God, uh, uh, he uses pain and, and uh, he authors pain and, and he permits pain and, and he redeems pain in, in, in our lives to make us more like Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, we know that. That's just the way of God with his people. And yet we step in and interrupt that process. In the case of our children, ladies and gentlemen, we shield our children from the actions of God in their lives. Most frequently because we can write a check. I want to tell you a story that I got out of a book. Actually, uh, the book is very helpful, kind of. Um, If you've ever read a Gary Thomas book, my, my... the reason I don't want to hurry you out and get the book, because if you've ever read a Gary Thomas book, he says the same thing in every book. Uh, he's got a book on sacred marriage, and now he's got a book on sacred parenting, and I think he's got a book on sacred fly fishing and, and sacred everything. You know, just And so he says the same thing in every book. So this one was really disappointing, because he says the same thing that he said in his, in his marriage book. But if you've not read anything, you know, might, might, might want to get it. But in that book, there's this story about... Um, a letter that was received in the admissions office at MIT. Now, yeah, everybody knows what MIT is, don't you? Massachusetts Institute of Technology, a very prestigious, um, brainy school, I guess it's up in Massachusetts. <laughs> um, anyway, um, the dean of admissions received the letter that I'm going to read you uh, in April of 2002. Now, this is just, you know, four or five years ago. The... Um, The letter came from a father whose son had not made the cut. Uh, What I mean, I mean, he had applied to get into MIT. um, He didn't make it. And he thus was refused and denied admission into MIT. In response to that, the father of that young man wrote this letter to the dean of admissions at MIT in April of 2002. Here's the letter. Dear sir. You rejected my son. He's devastated. See you in court. Guys, does that speak volumes to you like it did to me? Do you and I not believe that God closes and opens doors in the process of leading us? Do we not believe that? And yet, the issue for this father wasn't where is the right place for my son to go to school. The issue was, 
my son hurts and I'm not going to stand for that. Guys, um, Kevin Lehman, who was one of my wife's favorite authors when we were raising kids, Kevin Lehman tells the story of an experience that all of us have had. The story is about riding as a passenger on a commercial airline. And uh, you, you know the drill. You know, as you're taxiing out to the runway and the uh, flight attendant uh, comes on the loudspeaker and, um, and uh, gives you this spiel about in-flight emergencies. And uh, she says, uh, should there be a loss of cabin pressure uh, from above your head, a little yellow plastic mask will drop down and you're to take those things <laughs> and breathe through them. However, if you are traveling with small children, what's the next line? If you are traveling with small children, make sure that they don't suffer for one iota because, you know, we certainly don't want to see our kids suffer. Now, the next line is, you who are traveling with small children, put your masks on first. And then attend to your children. Why? Because, ladies and gentlemen, in an emergency, our children need their parents to be able to think clearly and to act effectively. Here's the point. If we don't allow our kids to suffer temporarily, they may suffer permanently. And yet, in the name of sparing our children pain, when in reality, we're really trying to spare ourselves the pain, we step in and stop the whole process. And do you see my point? My point is that that approach... Stopping our kids from experiencing any pain is not about God. It's about me. Because I don't want to watch it. My why dictated my how. And my how was all wrong because... My why was wrong. Guys, what I'm, what I'm saying, I guess, is that our methods are bad because our motives are bad. Our bad why gives us bad hows. If we had kids somehow so that we could meet our own needs... Or if our needs are foremost in this whole process, then our methods, our how, will inevitably miss the mark. You know, guys, tell me, how do we explain, as parents, 
our downright refusal to administer spanking to our children when the Bible tells us to do that. By the way, I said something like that about three or four years ago, and I got in huge trouble. I got an email that took my head off. And let me tell you, this woman was right. She was right because she was saying, don't you know about the abuse of children all over the world and yada, yada. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you misinterpret me to hear me say something about somehow in a fit of rage or drunken stupor, you hit your children. If you hear me say that, then you concocted that because I ain't promoting that. But I am promoting biblical obedience. God forbid that we should ever strike a child in rage. But how do we explain reading the book of Proverbs, seeing what it says to us, and saying, nope, not going to do it? I guess because our why is wrong. And thus our how is out of whack. Guys, here's our why. Here it is. In obedience to the cultural mandate, we are to raise kids to the glory of God. There it is. In obedience, the cultural mandate, we are to raise kids to the glory of God. So it's not about us. It's not about my needs. It's not about how proud my children make me. It's about God's glory. That's just point one. We've got to hurry. Got ten more minutes. Now, now you got that? That is the Why? Now, I'm, I'm going to give you point two here. <laughs> and point two uh, really, at first blush, may appear to contradict point one. But if you'll bear with me, I think you'll, I think you'll figure it all out. You're a bright group, and I, I don't think you'll miss this. But um, here's my second point. In another sense, it is about us. Guys, God loves our kids Far more than we as parents do. But you know what? He's pretty fond about us as well. And one of the reasons that God, I think, has blessed us with children is because very few things exist in the world today (laughs) that are so effective in making us into the image of Christ as our kids are. Can I get an amen? Is that not true? Guys, um, God wants this process of parenting to, to change both of us. That is, parents and kids. It, it's not enough to ask how we are shaping our kids. We must also ask, how are my kids shaping me spiritually? Gang, if nothing else, if nothing else, parenting ought to make praying people out of us. It ought to teach us how to pray, if nothing else. I hope there's more, but it certainly ought to make people who cry out to God for the wickedness that is our children are exposed to. Spiritually, we need to raise kids just as badly as our kids needs us to raise them. Gang, is there anything that can evoke from us 
a life of self-sacrifice and devotion, while at the same time exposing the depths of our depravity like our children can. At the same time, it evokes from us spiritual heroism and also exposes the depravity, the depth of our depravity. Parenting allows us to experience ourselves as both more virtuous and more wicked than any other single experience I know of. You know, I won't bore you with all the details of the numerous stories of my grand virtuosity. But I would like to tell you one story that exposed my sin. I can't, we had three girls. And I can't remember exactly how old they were. I'm, a, I'm a taking a guess. So I don't remember how old they were, but I'm just guessing. They were 18, 16, and 13. And it's homecoming night. Friday night homecoming. And all three of them have big plans. Big plans. Two of them have dates. And I come home from work. You know, 5 p.m.-ish or so. And the hormones are raging. I step into a scene that is right out of the animal farm, ladies and gentlemen. And I didn't last 15 minutes. It it ended up that I chased my daughter up the stairs, ranting and raving the whole time. And who knows what I would have done had I caught her. Fortunately, I didn't. Now, why do I tell you that story? I'm certainly not proud of it. I tell it to you because I think, I think you can relate to it. Because I bet you're just as wicked as I am. I got some good news for you. We live in the midst of some holy teachers. Teachers who provide for us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to see our sin and not only simply to see it but to confess it repent of it to them and seek God for more and more of his grace oh guys who needs a confessional when you've got kids those holy teachers are three year olds and six-year-olds, and ten-year-olds, and thirteen-year-olds, and fifteen-year-olds, and sixteen-year-olds, and seventeen-year-olds, and eighteen-year-olds, and nineteen-year-olds, and twenty-eight-year-olds. Sometimes they spit up on themselves, and other times they spit up on us. Sometimes they throw, throw tantrums. Other times they drive us to throw tantrums. Sometimes they cuddle us and kiss us and love us and refresh us. But my brother and sister in Christ, both in the good and in the bad, 
They provide me with opportunities to become more like the Savior that I love. Another thing that parenting ought to do for us is humble us all and drive us to our God. I think that's part of the purpose. Let me wrap this up with what I hope is a brief summary. Guys, I I think we can do parenting, this parenting gig, we can do it one of three ways. Let me outline your options for you. Here is how I see the options. Option number one. We can um, conduct ourselves as parents in a completely me-focused, with a me-focused strategy. Um, That is, these kids exist to meet my needs. I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, if if you choose that one, you are creating for yourself a disaster of epic proportions. Because when they break your heart, and they most assuredly will, you'll be left holding a bag of shattered dreams. Disillusioned, depressed, directionless, you'll begin to wonder, who am I? Who am I now? I mean, I was living for that, and that didn't work. So you have been gutted. In terms of your whole reason for existence. That's one of your options. The other option is a child-centered approach to parenting. And the first thing that happens in a child-centered approach to parenting is that the marriage dies. You sacrifice your marriage. Because now all of your energies are being poured in the kids. Whether it's a wife or the mother. Or wife or the husband. Tell me, my friend, to what do you most aspire for your children? Is it their comfort or their character? In this approach to parenting, the kids in this approach to parenting are overprotected, too frequently drugged. I mean, who needs character when the right right drugs are available? And they are unnecessarily coddled. How terrifying it is to think that my kids could feel happy all the while on their way to receiving the full brunt of God's wrath. It is to choose their happiness over their holiness. And lo and behold, You get neither. Because that's not going to make them happy. You know that. And then the third option is a God-centered approach to parenting. And those are parents who parent in obedience to God. And regardless of how your children treat you or regardless of how they turn out, my acts of sacrifice aren't done solely out of love for my kids but they are done out of reverence for God. And when they sin, that is, those parents, when those parents sin, they confess their sin, 
They seek forgiveness from their children because they certainly don't do this parenting gig perfectly. None of us do. But their goal is not some kind of reputation for the ideal family because none of us got one. Give it up. None of us have the ideal family. The goal is simply that God be glorified as I discharge duties faithfully that he's given me. Guys, when we neglect God and we ask our marriage or our family to carry the freight of our happiness, something that they were never designed to do, we end up in disillusionment and despair and emptiness. Let's get back to the job. Let's get back to the job of raising our kids according to the Scriptures for the glory of God. Our Father, I do pray that this has been helpful for your people. Um, there is so much that needs to be said and, and, um, and said better than I said it. And I pray that you will minister grace and truth to your people so that they can leave here with a, with a grand uh, new uh, supply of wind in their sails to get back to this job, knowing that their eye is fixed not on their child. Their eye is fixed on finding your smile. Do that, Father, for Jesus' sake.